Amen. Thank you. I pray the Lord blesses you as you return the tithe to him and uh, trust that you'll invest in the kingdom of God so that we can reach more people for him. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here um, as the buckets are passed. Um, I, I wanted to, before we get into the word today, do one other thing. Uh, and so I, Pastor Chris, why don't you come up? I want to honor Pastor Chris. You guys know Pastor Chris? Um, a lot of good things, but you should know him because he's been here 10 years today. So today is his 10-year anniversary. Um, and a lot of great things going on in student ministry right now. Um, we've got Project 56 happening on Wednesday nights with Breakaway. Culture Shift is happening and growing on Sundays. And uh, so Pastor Chris is our, is our lead student pastor, and uh, he just does a great job. And so I, we just wanted to give this to you. How many of you know this is, it's better to get an envelope than a box, right? Because uh, envelopes have the good stuff in them. And so this is just uh, some, some finances for he and his family to take a trip um, and um, get refreshed and rejuvenated and all that, or they can use it for whatever they want, right? Because they're adults. But um, that's, that was the idea. Uh, and so we wanted to give that to you. And uh, let's give him a round of applause one more time. But also... I wanted to just pray over him and thank God for him. And so if you would do that with me. Lord, we just thank you so much for the Genders family. And we pray, Jesus, that you would continue to bless them and make uh, Pastor Chris's ministry here even more fruitful. And we just thank you for all the lives of the last 10 years that have been transformed because he's been a willing vessel. And uh, we just pray that that continues and more testimonies and more life transformation and um, help us come alongside him to, to reach more students for Christ and um, I pray for 10 more years of, of faithful, fruitful ministry. And just bless his family, bless him. Um, let him hear uh, the voice of his God, his Savior, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Thank you. I thought about getting him flowers, but that felt weird. So I didn't do that. Uh, so it's, if the guy is taller than you and bigger than you, you don't give him flowers, all right? That's just part of the deal. Uh, so uh, just be praying for him and tell him congratulations. Thanks for being here for 10 years. It's amazing. Okay, let's get into the word today. Um, I've been waiting for today for a while uh, because today is when we launched um, Highway 45 in our kids' ministry, uh, fourth and fifth graders. Uh, if you're a fourth and fifth grader in here, you're in the wrong place. Go to Highway 45. Uh, but next week or whatever. So uh, that's awesome. Fourth and fifth grade ministry uh, starting. First service was great. And then I'm also excited about today because we launched life groups, over 40 groups like Pastor Fabiano's just said. Uh, we've been signing up the last couple of weeks, but today is launch day this week. They're meeting. And so make sure you get signed up. Make sure you show up to a meeting this week. Uh, but then there is this new series that we're jumping into today that I'm very excited about. And uh, we are jumping into this series called Neighboring. And uh, I believe this series has the potential to transform your neighborhood, uh, transform your community, and even transform our world for Christ. I believe that's, if we would just apply what we're going to study over the next six weeks, counting today, um, I believe God will transform every area. And I believe that a lot of people will come to know Christ. And so um, that's what I've been praying for. That's what I've been believing for. And I hope you'll do the same thing. So it's called neighboring. Uh, and the hashtag, the, the kind of uh, phrase, what's the phrase, catchphrase? I don't know, is uh, love goes next door. So when you post, you can use that. And, uh, 
and explain to your friends what that means and all of that. But we are going to be using these two books um, as content for this message series. So I'm not going to be going page numbers or uh, quoting people or anything like that. Uh, And so you can get these books. Just know that we're going to have some content coming from them. One is called The Neighboring Church and one is called The Art of Neighboring. And so go on Amazon, grab those, uh, and that'll help you go deeper into this study. Uh, Obviously, we can't hit all of the content in those books in six weeks. That'd be more like 18 weeks. So we're not hitting it all, so you can study it on your own. So there's a lot to talk about within this idea of neighboring, a lot to talk about as we launch this this message or this message series. Um, But but let me just kind of start out this way. You you live next to some people, right? No? Okay. You, you, You live next to some people. Like, depending on where you came from, unless you drove like a really, really long way to get here, you live next to some people. Now, You might live in town, and that might be just a few feet away from people, or you might live out of town, and it's more like an acre away from the people you live next to, right? So you live next to some people. There is a point where your property line ends, and someone else's property line begins, right? What are those people called? Neighbors. Some of you are just slow this morning. I thought that was an easy one. Everybody say neighbors. Those are your neighbors. These are your neighbors. And so I want you to think about them for a few minutes. Think about your neighborhood. Are are there any problems? Just think through your neighbors. Are there problems? Some some things that bother you maybe. Maybe there's a a yard that hasn't been mowed in a while. It's got like knee-high grass and there's all kinds of woodland creatures living in there, right? And it ticks you off and you're thinking, man, maybe I should call the village or the city or whoever else and maybe they'll give them a citation. Maybe they'll take care of that, right? Maybe, maybe that's what we should do. Or what about next door? There are like way too many teenagers coming and going out of that house, right? And you're pretty sure you smelled marijuana when the windows were open. We won't talk about how you know what marijuana smells like, but you're pretty sure you smelled that, and you're, you're thinking, man, should I call the cops? The, surely the cops are, are equipped to handle this, right? Maybe I should call the police. What about down the street? Maybe there's a family um, a couple houses down that has a lot of little kids, and you know, like, none of them speak English very well. They're out playing in the yard during school hours. You're worried that they're not going to school, not being taught. Maybe you should call a school district, right? Maybe you should call them. Maybe they're uh, equipped to handle it. Maybe that's the way you should go, call them. Um, when we lived in, in a different place, we had this neighbor that uh, before that had, he was a single guy, and he had different women living with him at different times. It seemed like a, a, a parade of women living with him, and uh, not ideal, right? Not, not ideal. We were trying to raise a young family and figure all that out, and so, uh, yeah. Think, think about your neighborhood, your neighbors, the people you live next to. I'm sure there are some problems, right? But there's probably also some good things. Like there's probably a neighbor who is always friendly, that always waves at you and smiles and, and is friendly to you and your kid. Maybe there's a kind of a, a grandma-type neighbor who loves your kids and watches them for you every now and then so that you can get stuff done. Maybe it's a, a guy who's your neighbor who, who does the snow blowing without even asking. He just, he just clears off your driveway uh, to help you out because... Uh, for whatever reason, without you expecting it. So there's probably, probably some good things, too. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your neighbors. Let's do this. In your bulletin today, 
Um, we put a little exercise that I want us to do together now. So if you didn't get a bulletin and didn't get this exercise, raise your hand. If you need a pen, raise your hand. Usually I don't care that much that you get a bulletin, uh, but today you're not going to have anything to do the next 15 minutes and you're going to be staring at me awkwardly and then I'm going to get up and mock you in front of everyone. So um, just raise your hand if you need that. Uh, it's okay. It's a little bit of shame, but not a lot. No big deal. I'm kidding about the shame. It's no big deal. So they're going to hand them out. Ushers are handing out pens and the exercise. Make sure everybody in the room has one so that uh, nobody is left out. So here's what it is. It's got nine boxes and nine houses. Keep your hands up. They're bringing them by. Nine houses. And the middle house, the yellow one, that's your house, okay? And so all of the houses around that yellow house represent your neighbors. Now these are your eight closest neighbors. These are the eight houses that are closest to your house. So you can't, when we, when we talk about this, I'm going to give you three things to kind of fill out in this exercise about each of your neighbors. So you're going to do one for all eight, two for all eight, three for all eight. I feel like I'm teaching second grade. You with me? Okay, you're with me so far? And so uh, these are the eight closest houses. You can't stop at three because your cul-de-sac has three people. Okay, these are the eight closest houses. You might have to go across the street. You might have to go down the street a little bit. You've got eight houses that you're trying to uh, do this exercise for. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay, so this is what we're going to do. So for as many neighbors as you can, as many boxes as you can, next to number one, here's the first thing I want you to fill out. I want you to just put the names of the people in that house. House, okay? So first and last names if you can. Eight neighbors. That's your goal. Fill out eight neighbors' names next to number one. Um, I'll give you two minutes to do that. If you're listening online, uh, then grab a piece of paper and do it. Or if you're driving, probably shouldn't. So think through it for as many neighbors as you can. Eight closest neighbors, all right? Next to number two. Now, I want you to write basic information about these people in these houses, okay? So basic information that you know about them. Not like he drives a red car. That would be lame, okay? So don't write that. Uh, something like basic things like he's from Texas or they're from Texas or they, uh, they like to go hunting or, or he's an engineer. That's actually almost everybody. So just write that and you'll be fine. So he's an engineer, whatever. Just something about their profession. They have five kids, uh, whatever, just very, very basic information about each one of these neighbors, as many as you can, okay? I'm seeing a lot of wives doing a lot better than husbands. Um, good job, okay? It's to fill this out, basic information about each neighbor. Ready, go. How'd you do on that one? Pretty good? Okay, number three. One more. Number three. You've written names of the people in the houses, eight closest to your house, neighbors. You've written basic information about them, whatever, as much as you could do. And then now number three, I want you to write more personal information about them. So if you know social security numbers, write those down. All right? <laughs> I'm kidding. Right? Uh, answer the question, what drives them? What are they all about? What are they passionate about? Like maybe you could write that they love Jesus. Or maybe you could write, you know, they, they told me they got hurt by church and don't like church. Or um, they're all about cage-free chickens. Whatever it is, 
um, you, you write down like what it is that drives them. They're trying to, something more personal, they're trying to adopt a kid, they're trying to have a kid, they're whatever, something that you would know uh, from a, a deeper conversation with them, okay? Um, that's number three. So I'm gonna give you two minutes. Write as many neighbors as you can. Number three, ready, set, go. All right. You know what I love about doing exercises like this in church? There are some of you that are just totally rebels, right? Like you're not going to do what I say no matter what I say, (laughs) right? You're just like, fill out a stupid piece of paper. (laughs) I'll teach him, right? I'll teach him to do exercises in church. Um, I love you, even though you won't fill out the papers I ask you to fill out. Um, I did also like to watch couples. Like there were two different kinds of couples. One was like, most were like, husband was like, that's you. <laughs> Fill out the neighbors, that's you, <laughs> right? Then there were some husbands that were like, no, that's wrong, all right? You got the name wrong. Okay, so how did you do? Let me ask you this, like, number one, filling out the names of all eight of your neighbors. How many of you were able to get names for all eight? No excuses about like, well, there's this one that whatever, no. All eight, how many? Okay, good, all eight Good. In this book, um, The Art of Neighboring, um, they go around and they do this all over the country. They do this, this same exercise. And they say that just about 10%, only about 10% of people uh, can name names for eight of their neighbors, the eight closest houses to theirs. So 10%. How many of you, number two, you were able to do number one with all the names and number two with basic information about all eight of your neighbors, every single one, didn't miss one. Okay, good. A little less, not as, not as many people. Uh, the book also says uh, that that's at 3%. 3% of the people that do this exercise across the country are, are able to get all eight for some basic information about them. Okay, now the hardest one. How many of you were able to get names, basic information, and write down something that drives these people, something deeper that you would only know through a relationship with them, a friendship with them? How many of you were able to do that for all eight neighbors? Anybody? Okay, yeah, drastically less. We're doing good. Uh, You guys were able to raise your hand, but drastically less. Um, The book says that that's at about 1%. About 1% of people can write what drives their neighbors, what is deep, deeply important to them. What is it um, that they live for? Only about 1% can do that. And we're talking about church people here. This book is talking about going to churches and asking church people um, these questions. And so 1% of church people can actually talk about what their neighbors think about God, what what their hopes are, um, what, what their dreams are. Now, is this a big deal? Maybe not, right? Maybe it's not a big deal. It's not, not that big of a deal. But maybe, maybe it is. Maybe, just maybe, we as church people have missed something that's pretty important. Maybe. Because the Bible talks about neighbors, doesn't it? And it talks about it a lot. The one you probably know is, is where Jesus said, you need to love your neighbor, what? As yourself. Everybody say, love your neighbor. Everybody say, love your neighbor. As yourself. You guys are nailing this today. <laughs> Obviously, that was my fault. I'm not sure how, but I know it was my fault. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. You know that one. Jesus was actually quoting, was the first one to say that. He was quoting Leviticus 19.18 that says, love your neighbor. He was quoting back to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, when he said that. It's actually all over the Bible, not just Jesus, but all over the Bible. So I just want to throw out at you a bunch of scriptures that talk about neighboring. This isn't the, 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 all of them. This isn't the total sum of them. It's just some of them. And uh, I, you're not going to have time to look them up or anything like that. Just look on the screen as they go. So let's start with that Leviticus 19, 18 one. It says this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so love your neighbor as yourself back in Leviticus. Then that's Old Testament Torah. Jesus shows up. He kind of ups the ante a little bit, and it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself too. And that happens in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I'll give you the Mark version in Mark uh, chapter 12, starting in 28. It says this, and one of the scribes came up, and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so somebody comes up to Jesus and says, boil all of the whole Old Testament commandments down to one. What's the most important one? And Jesus goes, love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. He pulls this Old Testament Torah passage out and he goes, it's, it's about loving God. It's about this vertical love, but it can't stop there. You can't just say you love God and not love other people. He says it's got to be horizontal too. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. The apostle Paul um, writes about neighboring in Romans uh, chapter 13. He says this in verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And so the Apostle Paul is writing now, and he's saying it's not that Jesus replaced all of the commandments with a new commandment. He's saying Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself because that is fulfilling all of the commandments in the Old Testament. He's not replacing it. He's saying this is how you fulfill it. And then you, you love your neighbor as yourself. And then he writes uh, two chapters later in Romans 5 or 15, this about neighboring. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his what? Neighbor for his good to build him up. So he's going, now he's going, this is how you love your neighbor. You please your neighbor. So instead of being all about you pleasing yourself, you should be about pleasing your neighbor. It should be about other people. And then he said this in his letter to the Ephesian church. He says, in, in Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So now he's saying to love your neighbor is not just to wave at him and smile, it's to speak the truth to them, right? There's some truth-telling involved. And then James, the brother of Jesus, uh, says this in his letter in James 2, If you really fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. 
The royal law. So now James says, loving your neighbor as yourself is a royal law. What does he mean? He means it's the highest law. It's the greatest law. And he says, if you'll just do this one thing, then you'll be good to go. If you'll just do this, you'll be good. If you just did what Jesus said when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, if you just did that, you'd be good. So love your neighbor as yourself. Bear with the weaknesses and failings of your neighbor. Please your neighbor. Put your neighbor's needs above your own. Speak truth to your neighbor. Follow the royal law to love your neighbor above everything else. This neighboring thing is all over the scriptures, isn't it? And we could keep going. There are many more passages about what it means to be a neighbor and how we should love our neighbor as ourselves. I hope you feel a little bit of attention in your heart this morning. I mean, where's the disconnect? How could loving our neighbor be so obviously present in the scriptures and yet so glaringly absent in our lives? How could loving our neighbor be so obviously present in the scriptures and yet so glaringly absent in our lives? Well, I think I know. I think I know how it happened. I think it's because we've exchanged our real neighbors for metaphorical ones, so we don't have to actually do anything. We've exchanged our real neighbors for metaphorical ones. You see, what happens is that we'll take the teachings of Jesus and we'll turn them into little ambiguous cliches that mean nothing to us on a practical letter level. We'll put them on t-shirts and we'll put them on bumper stickers and we'll do that. We'll get the fish, the fish on the back of our car and we'll call it good, right? That's what we do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We know it. We can say it, but we don't do it. We've exchanged real neighbors in that command with metaphorical ones. And it does nothing to change our lives or anyone else's. We are so guilty of turning the Bible into quick little phrases that we kind of dial up whenever we need them and and we're in certain situations, but we don't allow, allow them to go deeper than that. We'll throw it on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter uh, just so that people think we're reading the Bible, right? Get some likes, but it doesn't go deeper. We don't allow them to go deeper. Just like when you're skipping a rock across a pond and, and it goes off on the surface of the water and then lands on the other side, so does the truth of the Bible, the truth of Scripture, skip across the top of our soul, the surface of our soul, landing on the other side and never going deeper. We struggle to let things go deeper. We don't actually follow what we what we know to be true in the scriptures. In Luke 10, uh, one of the times that this love your neighbor as yourself shows up in scripture, um, a a lawyer comes up to Jesus and he he asks him what he needs to do to get to heaven. And Jesus, many times when people would ask him pointed questions like that, he would just turn them around. He'd ask them a question. So I would go mad, all right? Uh, Because how are you doing? How are you doing? Wait a second, I ask you a question, right? And so he, the lawyer comes up and says, what do I need to do to get to heaven? And Jesus just goes, what do you think you need to do? Masterful teaching. What do you think you need to do? And the guy goes, well, you need to love God with all that you have and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. So he quotes, love your neighbor as yourself to Jesus. And Jesus hears him and goes, correct, good, done, go do it. See you later. Like, I'm going to go talk to some other people now. You seem to understand. See you later. 
The guy goes, wait up, wait up, Jesus. I'm not done. The lawyer's not done. And he, and he asks this question to Jesus. He says, who's my neighbor? I know that, I know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but, but let me ask you this, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Who exactly is this neighbor? This guy wanted Jesus to define what neighbor means. Why? Because he was trying to get out of loving people, right? He's trying to get out of entering their mess and ministering to them. He's trying to get out of helping them, reaching out to his neighbor. He wanted the word neighbor to be defined in such a way that he was found blameless, that he was off the hook. And so he asked Jesus this question. He's looking for a loophole around loving his actual neighbors. Isn't this what we do? I mean, don't we, aren't we the lawyer in this Luke 10 passage trying to define neighbor metaphorically instead of literally so that we don't actually have to do anything? Making it as ambiguous and as big and as lofty as possible so nobody can call us out on it, right? If we go wide enough and shallow enough, then nobody can call us out on having to actually do something that matters. And no one can really call us to action that might be difficult, might take time might get messy, might actually change the world. This lawyer and, and you and me, we're going, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, but answer me this, Jesus. Who exactly is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And who can I maybe not love? Right? I mean, that's the question. Who is not my neighbor so I don't have to love him? Who, who, where is it? Where's the line here? And in Luke 10... Jesus answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know it. Um, a guy's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. Some robbers attack him, beat him up, leave him for dead. Um, two religious people who knew the law, knew the scriptures, religious leaders, claim to walk with God. They pass by him. They just keep walking. They don't stop and help him, right? Agendas, schedules to keep busy, can't stop, can't help, whatever. And then... The third person who walks by is a Samaritan, the lowest of low to a Jew. And he stops and he helps the guy. This would be the modern day equivalent of you stopping to help an Islamic terrorist on the side of the street. That's how much they had problems. That was the animosity between these two groups of people. And so, but he does, the Samaritan stops. He bandages him up. He takes him to the inn, pays for all of his expenses to stay there as long as he needs to. He takes care of this, this guy who's been hurt. And Jesus' point in the parable of the Good Samaritan was that neighboring like God wants us to starts in our hearts. We have to care, right? We have to care about people. If you don't care, you won't neighbor. And the Apostle John says later in his letters that that means you don't love Jesus. I mean, if you don't love your neighbors, you don't love God because love always goes next door. And if you do care, but you fill your life so full that you can't possibly take the time to love someone, then you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. You are the only one who controls your schedule. There's not another person that controls your schedule. It's only you. There are no excuses to live your life at such a speed that loving your neighbor as yourself is impossible is to not care about your neighbor. It's the same thing. And to not care about them is to not love them. And to not love them is to not love God, the Apostle John says in 1 John. And 
That might not be easy to take, but I never said this was going to be easy. It's not easy, but it's true. So Jesus, he throws this parable out about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's tempting to turn the great commandment into a metaphor. We go, well, I guess if that guy on the side of the street was the Samaritan's neighbor, then I guess everybody's my neighbor. I guess really everybody is my neighbor. As long as we can keep it broad and ambiguous like that, we don't actually have to do anything. Our neighbors are people across town. They're the impoverished people that other organizations help. So we throw a few bucks at that organization and call it loving our neighbors. They are the people the government helps, right? We tell ourselves, don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. You're not a bad person. It doesn't matter that you don't know your neighbor's names you've lived next to for 35 years? Does it matter? I mean, don't forget, you sent $50 to Hurricane Harvey victims. You're doing fine. You're doing fine. You love your neighbors really well. You're nailing this love your neighbor thing. We say Jesus can't possibly expect us to love everybody in real practical ways, can he? Surely not. But, but listen, beloved, when we aim for everything, we hit nothing. When we aim for everything, we hit nothing. When we say we're neighbors with everybody, we're neighbors to nobody, right? We're the lawyer looking for a loophole. I'm a busy guy, so I'm figuring Jesus is just saying, when I see somebody dying on the street, I should stop and help them. And since I haven't driven by anybody who's bleeding out on the street lately, I'm batting a thousand and love your neighbor as yourself. I must be doing really good because I haven't actually seen a person like that, so I'm good. Yeah. But what if that's not what Jesus is saying? Here's what I mean. I think Jesus assumed that his audience read the word neighbor in Leviticus as, get this, their actual neighbors. I mean, I think Jesus figured people understood what a neighbor was in its basic sense. The people next to you. The people who live next to you, next door. So Jesus wasn't redefining the word neighbor with the, the, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. He wasn't redefining the word neighbor. He was stretching the meaning of neighbor, right? He was expanding it. He's not, he was saying that it not only includes the people next to you, but also includes people you don't like, even terrorists on the side of the road. They can be your neighbor that you love as yourself too. But what we've done in our time and in our culture is that we've skipped the basic definition of neighbor and made it into a metaphor about helping those in need that we don't like, a metaphor that doesn't include the people right next to us. But what if Jesus, when he said love your neighbor as yourself, wasn't being symbolic or metaphorical? What if he was being literal? What if when he said neighbor, he meant neighbor? What if the great commandment, the royal law, is not a metaphor? You see, my fear is that we'll love, or we'll have this metaphoric love for our metaphoric neighbors. And our communities will be changed, but only metaphorically. And don't hear what I'm not saying. This teaching absolutely extends 
to the terrorists on the side of the road and those in the greatest need and the people on the other side of the world. It extends to the people you work with and your, your kid's soccer coach and the guy that you see at the gym every time you go and work out. It, 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 it extends to people on the other side of town, but it all means nothing if you don't understand that it also means your actual neighbors. In fact, it means your actual neighbors first. That's step one. Love your actual neighbor as yourself. That's the beginning. How can you love a wounded terrorist if you can't love the people you live next to? That's the equivalent of trying to do calculus or trigonometry without learning how to add. It's just not going to work. You got to start with step one, your actual neighbors. Start with loving your actual neighbors. I can see in some of your faces, you're like, oh, come on. Can't mean that. It's got to be metaphorical. It can't mean I actually have to love my neighbors like this. All of my neighbors, even eight of them would be hard, right? I can't possibly do this. is too much. Surely we don't have to love all of our neighbors. Surely it's metaphorical. I like the fish on my car thing. I can do that. I can put a fish on my car. But this seems impossible. How do I love my neighbors like this? Well, a lot has been written about what it means to love someone. Theologians debate it and write thick books about it. There are countless poems about love, a ton of scriptures about love. It's this deep, intimate, infinite thing that we have trouble getting our minds around and our hearts around. There's a lot that could be said about what it means to love someone. But before you get too far down that road, here's what I know about love. To love someone, it helps to know their name. To love someone it helps to know their name. So maybe you start there. Maybe you knock on a neighbor's door and start there. Maybe you walk over and strike up a conversation when you're both in your yards. Maybe you write an invitation to dinner and stick it on their door. Maybe you hand them an invite card. Maybe you go from a wave to to a hey, to a hey Mike, to a hey Mike, how's it going? Maybe you take steps and you get to know them and get to know their names first and foremost. Maybe you get that sheet of paper you filled out at the beginning of this message and you start to work through the eight neighbors trying to figure out who they are, trying to get to know them, trying to have them all over for dinner. Maybe you come up with a plan, start by finding out their names, move towards a deeper relationship one step at a time. But I don't want you to miss this part either. Remember what Ephesians 4.25 said, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. The great commandment is love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. But there's also the great commission. That's in Matthew 28. And it says that we're supposed to go out and baptize people, make disciples, right? We're supposed to teach them to obey the commands of God. There's this disciple-making thing that is supposed to happen. We're supposed to do this. So the ultimate goal of neighboring can't be to make friends. It has to be to make Jesus followers. That's got to be the ultimate goal here. I mean, if you're just getting together over board games and guacamole, that's good. I love guacamole. But it doesn't create Jesus followers in and of itself, right? So you've got to have an ultimate goal here. But here's the other side to that. If you live your life for Christ, the first step to making Jesus followers is making a friend. Are you tracking with me? So you can't do one or the other. You've got to do both. The first step to making a Jesus follower is making a friend. 
Next week, we'll talk about how to share the gospel in this kind of context. And we'll be talking through the next five weeks about excuses and obstacles and our motives in this and how we actually go about it. Uh, but, but I want to make sure you, you're starting out in the right place. All of that doesn't matter if you don't love and reach out to your actual neighbors. It starts there. And listen, if you'll do this, if you'll really step out and take Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself, literally, your community, your neighborhood, your city will be transformed for Christ. I mean, think about it. Jesus was a genius. Jesus is a genius, right? He gave us a plan that works. It's a genius plan. It's simple, and if you'll just do it, if everybody will just do it, we'll reach the world for Christ. Jesus is going, everybody lives next to somebody. Everybody has a neighbor. Love them. Just love your neighbors. Just speak truth to your neighbors. Just put them first, right? Just do that. If you'll just do that, then they'll, many of them will come, come to know Christ, come to know me, Jesus. And then when they come to know Jesus, then they'll look to their neighbors and, and they'll start to love them and then they'll come to know Jesus and then the neighbors of those people might come to know Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Do I have to keep going? I ran out of stage. It's a genius plan. Jesus is a genius. If we would just do this, the world would be transformed. And as you reach out and find out about your neighbors today, tomorrow, next week, here's what will happen. Your perception will change. That house with the knee-high grass that you were thinking about calling the city about, he just got hurt at work and lost his job. He can't afford to hire anybody to mow the lawn and he can't do it himself because of his injury. He needs help. He needs help. The teenager house that smells like weed that you're thinking about calling the cops about, the dad just died. And the mom is just barely holding things together. She needs help. The house with the big family that doesn't speak much English, the kids are home all day instead of going to school. The dad just got a job here. They're fresh off the plane, no friends no idea how to do life here, no support system, not much English. They need help coping, assimilating, getting the kids in school, learning English. You're going to call the school district, but they need help. In the Art of Neighboring book, one of the authors tells a story about his neighbor. The garage door was falling down, and there were two old messed up cars in, in the front yard, and, and it was just getting bad. The grass was growing, and so he called the city, and he, he got them a, a citation. They had to pay a fine, and, and he thought that was the way to go. And then a couple weeks later, he was talking to one of his other neighbors about the situation, and he goes, this other neighbor said, yeah, uh, I guess... Uh, she lives alone. The lady who lives there lives alone and, and her mom has cancer and she had to stop working because she's the only, uh, only kid that her mom has and she had to take care of her and she's been at her mom's bedside 24-7 the past few months. Obviously, this guy felt horrible. <laughs> he changed his perspective and ended up rallying other neighbors together to help her. They fixed all the house problems, all the cars, and they started to help her through this whole thing emotionally as she was there for her mom while she had cancer. My former neighbor, the guy who seemed to have a different girlfriend living in his house every few weeks, well, one time uh, when a lady started living there, I was like, oh, great, here we go again, right? 
but a, a couple days or a week later, I was outside, I was talking with him, and he's a single guy, and, and he was talking with me about how he had just um, allowed his cousin to start living with him, who had just gotten out of prison for drug possession, and he was her court-appointed home to go to uh, to help her get out of drug addiction. And so um, she uh, didn't have to go to a drug rehab place. He was trying to minister to her, trying to help her. And I found out that he had been doing this for other people, that he had been helping other people. So this string of people living in his house were people that he was trying to reach out to in a real way and help um, get out of prison and out of, out of darkness in their past and all of that. And so I left that conversation and go, wow, Way to go, pastor. <laughs> and so a couple weeks later after that, I was out talking to him again, and um, he was just really all broken up because he uh, it hadn't worked. His cousin had relapsed. Uh, he had found some drugs, and he had to call the uh, probation officer, and she had to go back to a, a drug rehab place, and he was just so broken up because he really wanted to help her. And I remember this because we weren't that close at the time, and and he's in his 50s, he's worker guy, blue-collar guy, like doesn't just cry a lot, <laughs> but he was starting to tear up, and, and I remember he, he was standing next to me talking to me about it, and I was saying, it's okay, it's okay, you know, you, you got to keep trying, and it's going to be okay, and, and all of a sudden, he just put his hand on my shoulder, and I don't think he'd ever hugged me or touched me, <laughs> we shook hands probably, but he just reached out and put his hand on my shoulder, and I knew it meant that, that he just, he needed some love, you know, he just needed to be ministered to, and so... I just stepped up and I just hugged him. And he just started bawling. And I prayed for him and I ministered to him. And I told him that he was doing the right thing and trying to help these people. Listen, I don't know about you, but I believe that I'm placed where I am and when I am. Because God wants to do something in the lives of people around me. I believe I'm placed where I am and when I am because God wants to do something in the lives of the people around me. That's what Acts 17.26 says. You can check it out later. It says that God is the one who was behind placing you where you are and when you are. He's the one who decided that. So the neighborhood or the neighbors you have, the block you live on, the neighborhood you drive through every single day, the people on your Street, none of that is coincidental. God's behind that. God put those people around you and you around them. And if we would all realize that, that God placed us here now for a reason and a purpose to reach our neighbors, if we would all take literally Jesus' command to, to love our neighbors as ourselves, we would see our communities transformed for Christ. I really believe it. Listen, don't be confused. Don't look for a loophole. Don't let your laziness and selfishness rise up. This is not lofty. This is not ambiguous. This is not metaphoric or symbolic. This is literal. Love goes next door. Love your neighbor, the people you live next to as yourself. Love them. Start by finding out their names. Take a batch of cookies over. Invite them to dinner. Invite them to church. Just do something. There's a lot of things you can do. But one thing you can't afford to do, nothing. We cannot afford to do nothing. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. What if it was literal? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help this truth, your truth, sink deep into our hearts and create action and faith and fruit. We pray, Jesus, that you would help us to love our neighbors, our actual neighbors as ourselves. We pray big prayers about communities being transformed and neighborhoods being transformed and our world being transformed because we, we have a big God. You are a big God. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do this work. That whatever is of me, whatever was of me today would fall to the wayside and be forgotten quickly. But whatever is from you today, God, that it would haunt us this week. That it would drive us that it would give us urgency and boldness to try new things, to do things differently because of what you said to us today. We love you, Lord. We give this whole thing to you and we pray for our neighbors, for our neighborhoods right now. We pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to reach them with your gospel that you would reach them, God, through us, that you would allow us to have meaningful, spirit-filled conversations with them. God, that a neighbor who has been so against your word and your gospel and church and against us, Lord, that you would begin to break that apart, that you would begin uh, to allow him to let you in, that he would begin to to, to let the message of the gospel in and that as we tried again and again and again to build relationships with them, that this week it would be different, that next week it would be different, that we would be able to see some fruit there. We pray for our communities, God, transform them. We want everybody we come into contact with to know you, to be known by you. We love you, Jesus. If there's anyone in here, Lord, who has not given their lives to you, let them do that right now. Let them themselves give their lives over to you so that you can use them to reach their neighbors for you. We love you and we trust you with all of this and more. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why don't you stand with me? We've got prayer workers at the side that can pray with you if you would like prayer for anything at all. You want to pray for your neighbors. If you've got sickness in your body, you need you got some financial difficulties you want prayer for, you can get prayer. But here's my prayer for you today. May you be challenged to know your literal neighbors. May you start with knowing, but move to loving them as yourself. And may you let the Lord use you to transform your neighborhood for Christ. I hope you'll come next week. And I hope you'll bring a neighbor. God bless you guys. Sign up for a life group if you haven't already. See you next week.